0: Hello and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. Happy New Year from the Good Old Days of Radio Show. We are in the new year of 2024, and we are counting down 10 episodes of Escape, the great show that was sort of a, not a companion to suspense, but today's world kind of thinks of it as such. But it, it, was, it was actually different, better in some ways, not as good in other ways, but overall right on par with suspense and sometimes better. We have a special guest from down under in Australia, Mr. Keith Scott, the uh, man of a million voices from Australia, and he has kindly agreed to educate us on suspense, uh, suspense, educate us on escape (laughs) for a total of 10 episodes. This is episode number two, and welcome back to the good old days of radio show. Keith Scott, tell us about this one.
1: Thank you John uh, this this uh, episode of Escape was the I think the third series again it was it never did attract a sponsor as good as the quality was and it was as good as radio gets for some peculiar reason maybe it was the anthology nature of the show where there were no continuing characters mind you suspense was the same and that attracted long time sponsors like Roma wine and uh, Auto light well suspense so no
0: had, suspense had big stars though Exactly. Escape that was, escape was yeah. mostly classic radio voices that were really good at it radio really but were not yeah. well known to the public as their names. Yep,
1: yep. the only the only big stars suspense ever uh, escape ever uh, really got were people who loved doing radio and were happy to do it at scale for a favor. Vincent Price did about 3 I think and he just always championed radio as one of his favorite medium media. Occasionally they'd get somebody like Van Heflin or John Lund and all of them were known as radio people as well. Yeah. This, this was the third, I believe series short series. And this was interesting because, um, now we're reduced budget-wise because it's only a contracted 13 weeks run. And so the music backing on this is uh, organ only. And that's usually the sign of a show that's um, still looking for a sponsor. They uh, they cut the orchestra budget. The organ was played by Ivan Dittmars, a well-known LA musician who, uh, for the younger people, he ended up playing the organ backing on all of the Roger Ramjet cartoons in the 60s. Ooh. But... Uh, but um, this was a new series for norman Macdonald while he was still doing the adventures of philip marlowe and it was an experiment on the part of cbs because for this 13 weeks it was before they went all the way to tape but this was the first series as an experiment that was pre-cut on tape uh, several days before the broadcast and then they went back to doing live for another year and a half strangely enough after this 13 weeks but uh, the the quality of these thirteen are excellent. Uh, if you are, are just happy with the organ backing, the sound effects, and the the detail and the realism, and this particular one again showed the the strength of the show in adapting classics of of uh, literature, accepted classics, and I'm talking big time authors like Conan Doyle, the uh, creator of the great Sherlock Holmes. Who um, had by now, I think in the year, I think it was, uh, I might have a note here that I took about this. Yeah, it was 1898 that this uh, was published as a short story. And uh, it's called The Lost Special. He'd, he'd retired Holmes, I believe, two years earlier. So he was uh, looking for new uh, stuff all the time. And again, like Kipling uh, last week, he was incredibly prolific as an author, uh, Conan Doyle. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, most and people is,
0: most people don't yeah. think of him as anything other than the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes. That's yep. as far as it goes. Yeah,
1: because it's yeah, it's sort of like Don Adams. Um, you know, nobody ever thought of him as anything but Maxwell Smart. It was such a strong image. You know, <laughs> uh, you, you get typecast as to one thing. People are so happy to pigeonhole. But this short story had been done uh, five years, six years earlier on suspense with Orson Welles. It only survives as a as an Armed Forces Radio Service record. But uh, um, that production was uh, naturally very good because it was William Spear. But this is a terrific production, uh, and it's a complete and utter baffling mystery. And uh, it will kind of have you hooked uh, after the, about the first five minutes or so because uh, it's a train story, and they're always great for uh, dramatizing on radio. Um, and it's the disappearance of a an entire fast train into seemingly into thin air. And uh, again, it shows Conan Doyle's great uh, mind for baffling mysteries. And uh, you'll recognize, of course, the lead actor in this, the uh, police inspector, is played by our friend, the late Ben Wright, who uh, you would have met on the old Sherlock Holmes project that you guys did years ago. Of course,
0: Ben Wright was great. He was uh, the the Nazi chasing the Von Trapp family in The Sound of Music. That's what most people know him from
1: exactly and uh he uh had come to the us in 1947 to go to a relative's wedding and um just decided to try his luck um in in southern california and and uh Elliot lewis and all these guys began his career in radio in in the us on on the voyage of the scarlet queen but uh he very quickly was adopted by bill robeson and norman Macdonald as uh as a wonderful um genuine british voice i mean this was a guy who had come over from england and had had a long stage and radio career at the bbc and he just had that that wonderful english voice like this and he could play all of these these um detectives and and he also was a great he he admitted he was a dialectician so he could also do as you said a great german or french spoke fluent french and and german and was just one of those Highly educated actors uh, who'd who'd had a, a great um, you know training in uh, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. So uh, he's a very credible lead in this show. Uh, you know, it's just a great Arthur Conan Doyle mystery called The Lost Special.
0: Okay, well, we'll hear it and then we'll talk about some of the other people that appear in it or something else related to it. Terrific. Um, so this is from, oh, you know, I'm, okay. Never gave the date last week on the show that we did, but that's okay. People will figure it out. Uh, This one is February 12th, 1949, CBS Radio Network. The Lost Special from Escape.
1: With the
2: opening voice of Paul Freeze. Fed up with the everyday grind. Tired out by the dull routine. Want to get away from it all.
3: We offer you... ESCAPE! ESCAPE! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure.
2: You're speeding through the English countryside, the fast express train rocking beneath your feet. And you know that somewhere in the dark ahead of you, a band of men are plotting the destruction of the train are planning the moment of your death.
3: Today we escape to England at the turn of the century and the story of a complete train that vanished from the face of the earth. As Sir Arthur Conan Doyle told it in his fascinating tale, The Lost Special.
4: Twenty years with Scotland Yard have brought me into contact with many weird and unusual events in human affairs, but none more strange than the occurrences which began on the afternoon of June the 3rd, 1890, in the railway station at Liverpool. On no case before had I ever felt myself so helpless, groping blindly as it were for an unseen adversary, not being certain of the nature of the crime, not even knowing in fact if it were a crime. Suffice to say that along a short stretch of railway line in Western England, I learned what is truly meant by terror of the unknown. At four o'clock of the afternoon in question, having completed a rather minor investigation which had brought me to Liverpool... I was sitting in the waiting room of the railway station, reading and waiting for the six o'clock train for London. Entirely unaware at that moment of a rather ordinary conversation that was taking place in the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master, a few yards away. I'm very happy to know you, Mr.
5: Caratel, and you, Mr. Gomez. And now, if I might learn the nature of your wishes? Simply this, Mr.
6: Bland. My companion and I have arrived on the steamer from Central America, which docked less than an hour ago. It is of the utmost importance that we reach London as quickly as possible in order to arrange passage across the Channel to France. I see. Well, it's unfortunate you missed
5: the three o'clock train, Mr. Carrotill. However, there'll be a limited leaving at six that will put you in London... That is not old.
6: soon enough, Mr. Bland. I cannot stress too highly the importance of my reaching Paris at the earliest possible moment. I can understand that. But there simply isn't any other train in Quite six. so. Quite so. I am informed, however, that it is possible to charter a special train upon occasion. A special? Yes, it's possible. Rather expensive, though. The cost is not important, Mr. Bland. How soon can the arrangements be made?
7: Well, uh, uh, Mr. Hood, do we have an engine available? Yes, sir. Number 247 is on the north siding under emergency steam.
5: Good. Very well, Mr. Carroll. It's 4.08 now. We can roll a special out of here at 4.30. The charge is 55 pounds.
6: Gomez... You will pay Mr. Bland 55 pounds.
7: Uh, who is on the standby crew, Mr. Hood? Let's see. Uh, John Slater is engineer, McPherson guard, Smith fireman.
5: Call them at once. Have them carry two standard coaches behind the engine and telegraph the station master at St. Helens to hold the local on siding there until the special goes through. Make sure the line is clear as far as Manchester. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll send for a porter to take care of your briefcase, Mr. Carrotill. seems to be rather heavy. Thank you. No. I prefer to keep it with me, if you don't mind. Certainly, whatever you wish. Now, if you leave here at 4.30, you should be in Manchester at quarter to six. The station master there will clear you on to London. And I trust you'll have a very pleasant
4: journey. As I say, I was not aware of these events until a while later, and would have placed no significance on them in any case. At four thirty-one, the special train with its two passengers and three crew members pulled out of Liverpool Station and headed for Manchester. And at ten minutes to six, I was summoned to the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master.
5: And so that seems to be it. Very likely, I have no real reason at all to be worried, Inspector Collins. But since I saw you below there in the station, I thought it wise to call you in on
4: it. Well, I'm happy to be of any help, Mr. Bland. Uh As I understand it, your special train is running behind schedule, is that it? Incredibly behind schedule. Uh Nearly half an hour overdue at Manchester right now. We've wired them
5: to check and report back.
4: It isn't exactly unheard of for a train to run slow, Mr. Bland. It is, unless there's some reason, and I can't think of
5: one in this case. The special had clear track all the way. It passed through St. Helens at 4.52, right on time. Mm -hmm. They wired us, and then 15 minutes later released the local to follow along behind it into Manchester. Uh, You mentioned something about Mr. Caratol having a companion, I believe. Yes, a great hulking brute named Gomez. He didn't utter a word while they were here. Seemed to be a sort of bodyguard. Caratol himself was small and stooped with a swarthy complexion, possibly a Latin American. And you got the impression that he was carrying something rather valuable in his briefcase? Yes, he wouldn't let it out of his hands. And he seemed to be in great fear of something, though I haven't any idea what it may have been. Uh, what about the second chap, How is Moore? Uh, typically English, about 40 years old. Seemed very anxious to reach his sick wife in London. Oh.
7: Here's Manchester on the wire now, Mr. Bland. Oh, well, good. What are they, uh... Well, a moment. Oh, uh, well, here's a message. Assume change in your original plan. Local from St. Ellen's arrived, Manchester... Reports no sign of special train. Oh, but that's impossible. St.
5: Helens reported the special through ahead of the local. Is there a branch line between
7: St. Helens and Manchester, Mr. Bland?
5: No, not even a double track. There's only a single track main line straight through. Siding's of course, at the local stations for loading purposes. But, uh, Mr. Hood... Yes, sir? Check every local operator from St. Helens on. We've got to get to the bottom of this. I can't understand it, Inspector Collins. A locomotive and two coaches can't simply... Well, it's utterly impossible. It it can't have just disappeared.
4: In a few moments, the answers began coming in over the wire. The first was from St. Helens.
7: Repeating our previous message, a special train passed here at 4.52, local departed 15 minutes later. And then
4: from Collins Green.
7: Special passed here at 5 o'clock, followed by local train 17 minutes later. And then Earl's Town. Special passed here 5.06, followed by local 18 minutes later. Newton. Special passed here 5.12, local train 17 minutes later. At Kenyon Junction. Special through here at 5.20, local passed 19 minutes later and then barton moss local through 553 no special train passed here today I tell you, it's absolutely unprecedented, Inspector
5: Collins. An entire train and five human beings vanishing from an open track between two local stations only eight miles apart. It's impossible.
4: There's it the only thing to the contrary being the fact that it has apparently happened.
5: But I can't understand it.
4: Mr. Bland, I think you'd better make arrangements to get us out to Kenyon Junction as quickly as possible. <laughs> Within 10 minutes, we were in a coach behind a goods engine moving at full throttle on the main line east out of Liverpool. Since the missing special had been reported safely through Kenyon Junction, there was no need for concern with the country this side of that station. While the coach rattled and banged along the miles, we spent the time poring over a large-scale map of that eight-mile stretch between the junction and Barton Moss.
5: As you can see for yourself on the map, Inspector Collins, it's rather open country through there. Yeah. Low rolling hills, mostly, with quite a lot of coal mining and one steel mill. Uh-huh. No towns or villages near the railway line. Yes, yeah, so I see, Mr. Blande. Uh, what
4: about these spur tracks that join the main line? There must be a dozen or more of them. Fourteen, to be exact. Uh, isn't it possible the special could have been switched onto one of those spurs? Well, yes and no.
5: Eight of them can be eliminated immediately. Besides being narrow gauge tracks, they're also much too flimsy to bear the weight of a standard locomotive. Furthermore, they end at loading bins adjacent to the main line. They're, they're not actually connected to it. I see. Well, that still leaves six Are the all-standard gauge. Yes, but three of those six can be eliminated too, since they've been abandoned for years. The mines they were built for are no longer operated. The Red Gauntlet, Despond, and Hartzee's collieries. Yes, but abandoned
4: or not, if the tracks are still there, couldn't they be used? No,
5: no, they could not. When service to the three mines was discontinued years ago, the switches, along with several hundred yards of track adjacent to the main line, were removed to prevent accidents. And that settles that. But we still have three lines left. Yes, and all in operation. They serve the Big Ben and Perseverance collieries and the Carnstock ironworks.
4: Good that there is the probable area of our investigation. Probable?
5: Inspector, I failed to see anything probable about a train scheduled for Manchester turning up in a dead-end siding.
4: Well, for many years now, Mr. Bland, I've been approaching problems of this sort with a certain theory of logic. Once both the obvious and the impossible are eliminated, and we seem to agree on those, then the solution must lie in the realm of the improbable, no matter how fantastic it may at first seem. I can't believe it. Why wouldn't the
5: train crew report in? What about Mr. Carradal's anxiety to get to London? Why wouldn't Hey, Wait, he...
7: wait. We're slowing down, aren't we? That's right, sir. We're pulling into Kenyon Junction. Mm-hmm. This is the
4: last station to report seeing the last special. Very well, gentlemen. This is where we start to work. We stopped in the junction only long enough to rig acetylene spot lanterns at either side of the coach directed in such fashion as to light up the roadbed and embankment along both sides of the track. And then we puffed slowly out onto the main line and headed towards Barton Moss, eight miles away. The first mile of those eight dropped behind us and brought no significant discovery, and we moved on through the second mile. Save for the flood of light from our lanterns and the dull red glow from the firebox of the engine, the night was as black as pitch. Now and again... The ugly shape of a loading bin for one of the narrow-gauge feeder lines would loom out of the darkness ahead of us and float past, ghostly for a moment in our lights, and then dissolve away behind us into the blackness. But on the roadbed, the rails themselves remained unmarred, undisturbed, and offered not the slightest clue to explain a disappearance that grew more mysterious by the minute We completed the second mile and moved on. And then suddenly. What is it, Inspector? What do you see? Stop the engine at once, Mr. Hood. Yes, sir.
5: What is it, Inspector?
4: I think I've seen something.
7: I don't see a thing. It's just off the embankment
4: there, in the edge of the bushes. Uh, We'll need a hand light.
7: Here you are, sir.
4: Good. All right, come on now, let's have a look.
7: By heaven, there, there is something right enough. Uh, I, I see now. Well, it looks like a man lying there. Oh, it's more likely the body
4: of a man from the position he's in. Well, now, lad, oh, well, let's turn you over and have a glimpse at your face. Huh? What? Inspector. Oh, this is John Slater. Ah? Uh, and who is John Slater? He was the engineer
5: on
6: the special.
4: Hmm. Well, he's dead, his neck's broken. Dead? I'll venture a quick guess it was caused by a fall from the cab of his engine. Travelling rather fast at the time, I'd say, you can see where he rolled through the bushes for some little distance there. Hm?
7: Uh, but, but then uh, what happened to the locomotive, Inspector? Uh, afterward, I mean... Uh, that
4: still remains to be seen, Mr. Hood. We can be fairly certain of one thing, though. A special must have come at least this far out of the junction. Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to account for the engineer's body being here.
5: No more difficult, surely, than it is to account for any of this. This
4: whole thing is incredible.
5: Impossible!
4: Well, we still have our improbabilities, Mr. Bland. Those three connected spur lines are ahead of us yet, and the chances are one of them is going to supply some kind of an answer. By midnight, I'd completed a thorough check of the three lines. The first one, to the Big Ben Colliery, ran a mile and a half back into the hills and ended against the face of a huge pile of coal, Not large enough, however, to cover a locomotive and two coaches. I made certain of that. The line to the Perseverance Colliery was hardly more than a half mile long. It had been blocked all day and it was still blocked by a string of loaded ore cars and ended beyond them against the open rock face of a quarry. The last line, running to the Carnstock Ironworks, was a double track and had been left open all day. However, a sleepy superintendent informed me that over 200 repairmen had been busy on the roadbed until well after dusk, and it was impossible to imagine a non scheduled train passing through such a horde of witnesses unnoticed. Oh, shortly after midnight, dog tired, we walked into Barton Moss Station, still without the slightest explanation of the mystery. I want to send a wire through to Scotland Yard.
7: Scotland Yard? Yes, sir.
4: Yeah. I'm prepared to postpone further investigation... Investigation? Until daylight. Yes, sir. Sign at Collins. Uh, can you get that off right away? Right away, sir. Ah, peaceful English countryside... and a dead engine driver.
5: You speaking to me, sir?
4: Hmm? Huh? No, oh, no, no. It is strange, though.
5: Strange, sir?
4: In broad daylight a 40-ton locomotive with two carriages and four passengers has vanished from the face of the
3: earth. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, ten great shows come to you every Sunday night on CBS, and right and bright in the middle is America's number one comedy, The Jack Benny Show. Tomorrow night, Jack will take his place on CBS All-Star Night with a cast that's made The Jack Benny Show a welcome visitor in millions of American homes. Yes, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, and all the other great stars come to you over most of these same stations in CBS's 10 Great Shows on Sunday nights. And now with our star, Ben Wright, we return to the second act of Escape and The Lost Special.
4: The next morning, of course, the story was out and the daily papers went to work on it. But fortunately for Scotland Yard, the main attention of the press was directed at the moment toward the international scandal, which had been brewing for a week or two among high financial circles in France. As it was, however, letters to the editor in the morning post gave us quite a rough go of it. Oh, the old manner of crackpot suggestions. It seems suggestions.
8: difficult to believe that the worthy operators of Scotland Yard have overlooked the one obvious explanation as to the whereabouts of the missing train. May I advise them that some two miles from Barton Moss, the railroad line crosses the West Branch Canal. Unquestionably, the special leapt from the bridge and lies now in the muddy water. This
7: whole affair is obviously the work of some subversive organisation. And until the culprits are brought in to face their just deserts, no man, woman or child in England can be considered safe. Now, Surely my advice on the, dis- no, the fulfillment of
6: ancient prophecies. The forces of evil grow bolder and begin now to invade the earth openly. There is no doubt but what that strange man Caratol was really the devil in disguise. And it is Our my first time.
8: action this morning is to gaze quickly across the city toward Westminster Abbey. Considering the recently demonstrated inefficiency of Scotland Yard and the Manchester Liverpool railway affair, It's quite possible the Abbey may be spirited away some night soon.
4: A week passed, and then two weeks. We scoured the whole western countryside, following up every lead, tracking down each rumour, and we got nowhere. Three weeks, four, and then the press began to ignore the matter. Two months went by. Nothing new. Three months. And the activity of Scotland Yard in the matter had come to a standstill. The reason was simple enough. We had no idea what else to do. So the records were finally taken from the active file and marked, case still open and unsolved. Even though I worked on other assignments, my mind kept turning continually back to the case of the lost special. I tried to think of some avenue left untried, some path overlooked, and i could think of nothing i reviewed all of the improbabilities i'd tested and disproved and i tried to improbabilities suddenly a fallacy in my own logic began to dawn on me arbitrarily i had called certain explanations impossible and touched them only lightly in my investigation and yet what could really be classed as impossible in a case which itself was utterly impossible Down to Barton Moss again and then 10 days of painstaking work at the end of those 10 days I was certain that I'd found at least the essentials of the answer and I was equally certain that I could never prove it I could see only one bare chance a desperate chance against long odds I laid my plan before the chief inspector and then Scotland Yard went into action
8: london times 21st november 1890 rumors are circulating that a man named dalton arriving in liverpool in the steamer vistula tomorrow may hold the key to the long-standing manchester railway mystery according to reliable sources mr dalton possesses recently discovered copies of the documents which were carried in the briefcase of the ill-fated mr caratol it is further stated that scotland yard is arranging to meet mr dalton at the liverpool pier and rush him forthwith to london
4: The next afternoon, accompanied by Mr. Dalton, I walked into the office of Mr. James Bland, station master at Liverpool, and chartered a special train for London. We shall have the train ready for you to leave in ten minutes, Inspector Collins. Uh, Good.
5: I'm most anxious to get Mr. Dalton and his briefcase to London as quickly as possible. Yes, I saw the squib in yesterday's paper, and I was afraid then you'd be wanting a special train arranged. I'm still
4: worried about it, as a matter of fact. Oh, I hardly think there's any need to be. You've run a good many specials up to Manchester since that affair six months ago, and you've uh, never lost another one, now have you? No, but I'll confess
5: I've shaken in my boots every time I've watched one of them pull out of here.
4: I say now, you're going to have me jumping at my own shadow. Oh, oh, don't worry, Mr. Dalton. I'll have you in London before you know it, and done the worst for the trip. Nevertheless, Inspector, you'll have to admit the situation today is very much like the
5: one six months ago. Oh, yes, in some ways. The mysterious stranger arriving by steamer from South America, and in urgent haste to reach London. The carefully watched briefcase, which, according to rumor, contains the very same sort of material Mr. Caratal was carrying.
4: But there is one difference. Mr. Dalton is being accompanied by an agent from Scotland Yard. Yes, but Mr.
5: Caratal also had a guard, that chap Gomez. And both of them disappeared. Oh, come
4: now.
2: <laughs> Surely you don't think that anything so fantastic could possibly. Oh, no,
4: he's right, Mr. Dalton. It did happen once, and a number of the elements are similar. Well, Mr. Bland, I'll, I'll wire you as soon as we reach Manchester. Hardly necessary,
5: Inspector. I, uh, I
4: think I shall go along with you. What, well, good. But if you're looking forward to excitement, I can't promise you.
5: No, it will probably be a very ordinary trip. But if I stayed here, I'd be a nervous
4: wreck by the time you reached Manchester. Well, then come along by all means. Mr. Dalton and I will enjoy your company.
7: Your train has just pulled up the platform, gentlemen.
4: Good. Well, gentlemen, we, uh, we can't keep the fates waiting, huh? Let's get aboard. <music>
5: Well, it's certainly been an uneventful journey
4: so far. I hardly expected anything to happen this side of Kenyon Junction. And it's right ahead of us there. Inspector Collins,
5: you mean you are expecting something to happen on the other side of it? Oh, yes.
4: Yes, that's the whole purpose of the trip. I don't believe I follow you. Yes, I I imagine it is about time that you were brought in on this, Mr. Bland. I I didn't want to take any chances by discussing it before we were well along towards the um, danger area.
2: We're passing
4: through Kenyon Junction, Inspector. Good. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. Dalton, there is a Scotland Yard agent, by the way, Mr. Bland. Oh. And all he's carrying in that mysterious briefcase is uh, half a half dozen ham sandwiches.
5: I, uh, I think I should welcome some
4: sort of explanation, Inspector Collins. Yes. Uh, do you ever hear of the old trick an archer uses when he loses an arrow? He shoots another in the same general direction. Follows it, and sometimes he finds both of them. Well. This train and all of us aboard it constitute the second arrow, Mr. Bland. Do you mean you're expecting this train to vanish like the other? Why, you're deliberately risking our lives. Oh, the risk is not quite so great as you may imagine. But what makes you believe the attempt will be repeated? I've created as nearly as possible the same set of conditions that led to the first disappearance. If I'm right about the motivation, the parties concerned can hardly afford not to repeat. What motivation? I fail to see one. Well, it requires a bit of assuming, Mr. Bland... ...but the assumptions seem to fit the facts as well as the method used. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's take some of those facts. Mr. Carator was in a frantic hurry to reach Paris. His briefcase apparently contained something of great value. He was afraid an attempt would be made to prevent his reaching Paris. Yes. In Paris at that time, a huge financial scandal was brewing... ...which later came to nothing because of lack of evidence. The scandal involved illegal land operations in Central America... Mr. Caratol had just arrived from Central America, with his briefcase. Even so, And finally, it must require a good deal of money to bring about the disappearance of a locomotive and coaches, whereas ordinary criminals rarely have a good deal of money. Now, do you follow me? Yes. Yes, of course. If all that's true, then the idea was to eliminate Caratol completely, along with his evidence. And that's exactly what was done.
2: Inspector... We just passed the spot where John Slater's body was
4: found. Well, then, heads up, Mr. Dalton. It's only a few hundred yards now. Uh, Tell me this, Inspector. Have you also discovered
5: how the thing was done?
4: Oh, yes. But I'm in the unfortunate position of not being able to prove it. And what
5: do you think it's going to prove if the same thing happens to
4: us? Oh, that. Well, I forgot to mention that there are 20 agents of Scotland Yard concealed in the coach behind us. They're specially selected armed with rifles and are there for the express purpose of making sure the same thing does not happen to us.
2: We're slowing down, Inspector Collins.
4: Well, I think this is it. Slowing down? Why? We're leaving the main line. But we can't leave the main line. There's no siding here. Oh, yes, there is. There's the spur track to the Heartsease colliery. But it's abandoned. There's no connection to the main line. The rails were taken away years ago. Ordinarily, you'd be right, Mr. Bland, but at the moment, there's an excellent switch installed at the main line and also a very serviceable set of rails connecting it with the old track. We're traveling over them now, as a matter of fact. Do you see anything, Mr. Dalton? Not yet, sir. The train is being manned, incidentally, by Scotland Yard agents. I took the liberty of holding the regular crew in the coach behind us until we could find out which of them has been bought off which schedule to end up like John Slater. But I must confess, Inspector, I... look.
2: Men are coming out of the bushes behind us. They're already starting to pull up the rails. You see, Mr. Bland,
4: in 15 minutes you'll be right again. There'll be no connection between the hard seas siding and the main line.
5: Yes. Yes, I see now. By heaven, I never Mr. would Mr. Have... Bland,
4: it won't do any good to try to signal with that pocket handkerchief. I'm... Uh... <laughs> I'm afraid I don't quite understand you, Inspector. Then perhaps you'll understand the fact that you're under arrest for the murder of Caratol, Gomez, and John Slater. Why, that's utterly ridiculous. Why, I. Why have we stopped? In order to permit it. What? Ah. there is your answer. I think the 20 agents of Scotland Yard should prove more than a match for your assistance. Your guesses are nothing less than preposterous, Inspector. What could
5: I or anyone else gain by merely switching a train onto an abandoned siding? The other special,
4: if you recall, disappeared. Ah, yes. Yes, so it did. And straight ahead of us, a mile and a half, if you recall, Mr. Bland, this spur ends at the Hartsey's mine shaft, one of the largest inclined shafts in this part of the country. According to the records, it used to be 900 feet deep. But upon investigating it last week, I found it closed off by a tremendous cave-in at 400 feet. Now tell me, Mr. Bland... Was the cave-in caused by the explosion of the locomotive's boiler when it struck the bottom? Or did you dynamite the shaft after the train went into it? You've no proof of any of this and no evidence whatsoever against me. Your train crew and the coach behind us have all signed statements. And I think we'll get a good deal more evidence from the men who are being rounded up out there now. I... I have nothing further to say. Oh, there's nothing you can say, Mr. Bland. We've seen your bank account with those mysterious and heavy entries which are dated about the time the special disappeared, which I am sure we shall be able to trace to certain French sources. We've succeeded in tracing down McPherson and Smith, the fireman and conductor you bribed to vanish. Too bad you couldn't bribe Slater, the engineer, because his death was most unfortunate. You see, his body furnished us with our first clue. Yes, Mr. Bland... Without Slater's body, we might really have thought that the Lost Special had disappeared into thin air.
3: Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented the Lost Special by Conan Doyle, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Inspector Collins was Ben Wright. And the featured players were Parley Bear, John Daner, Edgar Barrier, Larry Dabkin, and Paul Fries. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Detmars. Next week...
2: You're aboard the Orient Express, rushing through the European night bound for Constantinople. And in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head. A small mysterious foreigner is about to take your life.
3: Next week, we escape with Graham Greene's exciting novel of intrigue, Orient Express. Goodbye then until this same time next week when CBS again offers you Escape! For more adventures, seek it out with two top CBS shows tonight, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters, both regular Saturday features on most of these same CBS network stations. Be sure to hear them tonight. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Okay, The Lost Special, written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, One thing I find very strange is they said... Uh, that let's pretend was coming on after this show um let's pretend was a kid's show doesn't exactly fit with this what a juxtaposition in programming keith scott do you know what time this aired
1: these shows i think aired on saturday
0: okay well let's pretend aired on saturday yeah but i thought it was yeah. in the morning
1: well, I I um, had the information that the escape series on Saturday for this short series was uh, nine thirty in the evening.
0: Yeah. That so why are they care. why <laughs> why are they running Let's pretend afterwards at ten o'clock at night when all the little kitties are in bed.
1: Unless it was a because of its short run, it was a, <clears throat> actually a morning broadcast. I I'll have to look into that. that yeah. Well, uh, that's I'd... pretty. Uh,
0: I didn't expect yeah. you to have the answer for it, but it just struck me when he said that it's like, yeah, yeah. coming up is let's pretend it's like, what is it? Nine in the morning. <laughs> Why and are,
1: also it's un, unusual, unusual for a show like that to precede a let's pretend show, you
0: know, because <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> yeah, let, yeah, let's pretend that the train just vanished. I mean, it's very, yeah, it's like, I
1: mean, it's like running a twilight zone on Saturday morning before the kids cartoons yeah. begin, you know, yeah. it's crazy.
0: Yeah. Here's twilight zone and coming up bugs bunny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something something wrong with this picture somewhere. Maybe we can figure that yeah. out. I don't know, but that that's that was weird. Okay. John Daner is on this. Tell us about John Daner.
1: The one we've just heard? Yeah, yeah he played yeah. a couple of parts. Um he played one of the correspondent voices, but he was really the uh, he was putting on a funny voice. Mostly when you hear John Daner, it's always uh, JB Kendall, you know, like that. Uh, but, but here he was doing that that old sort of English sort of voice that he sometimes did, you know. And it uh, just shows you again the sheer versatility of these people because mostly John Dana is just known for that baritone voice uh, uh, in lead roles.
0: It was a like, have-gun-will-travel, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paladin on have-gun-will-travel. And uh, so here he's, and again, uh, you know, even hearing Parley Bear, in in who ends up being the villain in the story we just heard, um, as as a manager of a Liverpool train station, and yet he he managed to um, blend in with Ben Wright, you know, and and. Uh, didn't particularly sound as British as Ben Wright, but uh, certainly believable.
0: Yeah, Parley Bear was a great character actor on loads and loads yes, of he really shows. Was. Did you ever meet yeah. meet him and interact with yes, him?
1: Yeah, I, in fact, I met him down in uh, the the club room at Ppb a few times when I think Ken Ken and Dick Mullins were trying to get a gun smoke project happening. That unfortunately, yes,
0: didn't. it didn't happen. But yes, <laughs> Car- Parley Bear was supposed to be the um, the narrator for the wraparounds on those, and it. It's, right, it just never right. worked out because CBS was not uh, too quick to give us permission to do it. So
1: yeah, that's right. It just uh, and also I think uh, then it uh, hit the skids because Parley suddenly had uh, a, a bad or a semi-stroke, and and uh, the, the, then he was out of the question from that point on.
0: Yeah, well, you know those those of us who were around in the seventies and eighties when these people were still alive had access right. to so many of them and. Those people at that time yeah. were all in their 70s or 80s yeah. and uh, yeah. they wouldn't live that much longer but they everyone yep. that I met was always very willing and able to talk about what they had done and different aspects of radio and they were all right. very all very nice about it. I I don't think I ever met any of them that were not nice. So that that was all Oh no and, fun. and
1: a lot of them had great memories. It was only a few who who uh, just couldn't remember much about the era, and uh, when I started coming out to LA and and met Ken in my 83 trip, um, I went to all of the Spurrback meetings whenever I was in town, and uh, and so that was in 83, and really it was only from about uh, late 86 onwards that (laughs) so many of them began very quickly passing away, one after the other, Frank Nelson, Vic Perrin, Virginia Gregg, all of these people just had reached an age where old age just suddenly hit them and uh, they were gone. Um, but up until then, for the first 10 years of Spurredback's existence, they had uh, access to so many people who not only still loved radio, but uh, had pretty great memories. And uh, a lot of those long Spurredback Presents tapes have some incredible information in them.
0: Right. Well, we should uh, give Spurdvac a plug here even though I don't really Oh yeah. I don't really have much to do with it anymore. I used to run their archives right. library years ago, but I'm in Oregon right. and I I don't really attend their meetings much, but um it's the society to preserve and encourage radio drama, variety and comedy, spelled Spurdvac right. S P E R D V A C and you can go yeah. to spurdvac. Com I guess or spurdvac dot yes. whatever yes. it is spurdvac dot something look them up and you can join and they have uh, radio scripts available that you can ch- uh, get copies of if you want to recreate right. some radio shows they have a library with a bunch of different radio shows there that are available and they do have as Keith is mentioning these great um, very lengthy in some cases reminiscing yeah. parties of various people from old time radio who went before the spurdvac microphones, and told their stories of their careers. They had a meeting every month, and they tried to have a guest right. from Vintage Radio every month, and they recorded each and every one of them, and they are all, I believe, all available through the SpurdVac website. So you might want to check yep. that out, spurdvac.com.
1: Exactly. And uh, um, so that that was, uh, as I said, that episode was the, the – um, yet another of the early norman macdonald ones um and uh, what i decided to do thematically for for the one coming up uh, on the next uh, podcast will be linking another train story, although this next one is is more where all the passengers are on a train, so we'll hear about that.
0: Okay. Well, we'll go to that uh, next uh, Thursday when we come back with Episode 3. In the meantime, you are listening to the Good Old Days of Radio Show podcast with John Tefteller and special guest Keith Scott from Down Under in Australia. Um, is right. there anything you wish to end with before we take a Uh, pause for the week and then come back next week?
1: Uh, Nothing specific that we didn't discuss about uh, the last Special uh, already, uh, except to say that uh, in this 13-week run, um, uh, these pre-recorded shows, which were an earlier version of recording on tape, uh, I guess to really teach the whole of the CBS staff how tape operations were going to be the future. But for the next, I think, three years, they still... Then transferred the the uh, edited tape broadcast onto sixteen um, inch discs because that's still what they were comfortable with.
0: Yeah, well, and, I uh, I don't remember. It's, I mean they could have been there, but I, my memory doesn't tell me that there were escape master tapes at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters archives. Nah, what nah, I remember all, was all, all sixteen inch, were, yeah, sixteen inch discs.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah, uh, but I think, I don't know what happened to the original tapes The these shows were recorded on. They're, in those early days, I have a feeling they were degaussed and used again, because uh, uh, I think in those earliest days of tape, the, the reels were incredibly expensive.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned that there's 12 or 13 of these missing. Um, I'm going to tell a quick little story here, which you may or may not be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. when Ken Greenwald was um, active and doing um, research and um, transferring of radio programs from the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters Collection, uh, he was attending all of their meetings and nostalgia nights and different things. And at one point, he was contacted by someone who told him that when the uh, transcription library of KNX Los Angeles, which was the CBS affiliate, and where... All of these transcription discs originate that, uh, that we all right. have enjoyment of here. Um, when that was still over at KNX, this particular gentleman told him that he had gone in there and removed two or three hundred of them, just grabbing random ones. Uh, as I recall, telling this, Ken telling the story, the guy said, yeah, I grabbed some escape. I grabbed some suspense. I grabbed some inner sanctum. I grabbed some Sam Spade. He was just like grabbing five five or 10 from the shelves of each of these programs because they didn't care if anybody wanted them, they, they could take them. And this guy had taken all this stuff home and Ken was in contact with him for a while trying to, arranged to borrow those transcription discs back, at least so they could be transferred and the holes could be filled. And as far Mm. as I know, it never happened. So somewhere out there, those exist because the person that had them was well aware that they were something important and well aware that they had taken home some things that people were after. So I can't believe they've been chucked in the garbage, but who knows?
1: No, no well the only, the only other thing that uh, that has helped is uh, i think there was one missing that ken discovered uh, on a on an armed forces radio service copy that was sounded excellent um called he who rides the tiger Okay. The one starring Bill, Bill Conrad. Um, and that's the hope that if these do never turn up uh, or this person has passed away and his family's junked all the stuff in no, the Yeah, That's a horrible um,
0: possibility, but yes.
1: It is, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that uh, maybe some armed forces copies of The Missing Twelve Escapes will finally turn up so little by little that's been happening with suspense over the
0: last 10 years yeah i I actually found a couple of those in the last few years that had been completely lost and all of a sudden there they were on afrs discs and i have a mountain of afrs discs here that i've never even gone through that could also contain some of these things but as with everything else (laughs) i'm buried in transcription discs and records and everything else and it's just impossible to keep trying to go through all this stuff and pull it out of the boxes and and see what's there. But they could be hiding in plain sight, so to speak. And I I hope so, because eventually we'll do that. Yep.
1: That has often happened.
0: Well, eventually I'll get to it. I I pulled one out the other day looking for something just to show on camera for a show we were doing. And it was August Heat. August Heat with Ronald Coleman and I know uh, that yes, I know that yes. the version of that that's floating around out there is not the best sound and this was a CBS master so uh, uh, right. so I mean I and that I've never transferred it so it needs to get done but anyway those are just oh, yeah. inside baseball type things here but a lot of people that listen to this podcast are from the era of collecting vintage radio shows and right, understand yep. what we're talking about. And a lot of the younger folk that are listening have no clue, but we're kind uh. of educating them as we're going along as to how these yep. things have survived and why and how you, how you actually get them from transcription disk onto some sort of digital file so that they can be enjoyed by today's modern audience.
1: Exactly, and and uh, not not some of the ones that uh, when the internet first came along, some of the young people uh, discovered these awful, um, poorly recorded MP3 copies that <laughs> <laughs> had all of that sound in it, <laughs> and they I guess they I guess they they just naively assumed that all-time radio just sounded like that even back in the day, you know, <laughs> they have to be very educated.
0: <laughs> well, we're, cor- we're correcting that and educating them on yeah. this show because
1: oh, absolutely. with yeah.
0: very, very few exceptions, we play stuff that's pretty much direct from disc. So yep. uh, once in a while we'll, we'll go down to second or third generation and sometimes even further than that, if they still sound okay, but they have it to really be very, so rare, sig- yeah. yeah, very significant rare shows are the only reason we would right. do that. Otherwise, it's all transcription transfers all the way, and that has gone a long way to help build the audience for this because people know they can come here and they can hear really nice, crisp, clear, vintage radio. Yeah, and that's Exactly. That's great. So we're doing our job here at the Good Old Days of Radio Show. (laughs) All right. Well, Keith, thanks for uh, appearing with us again. We'll be back next week with uh, one more from you and there'll be more after that, but there'll be one more next week. So next Thursday, um, come on back to this podcast and hear Keith and I'll discuss uh, the next show with him at that time. Uh, this is John Teftiller in the good old days of radio show saying thanks for listening and goodbye.